Well, welcome to another conversation where we are unpacking them more. Don't we just love a challenge? Don't we just love a problem? No. To be fair, I did get it going. It's a petrol lawnmower. And so I I called my mate Jerry because I thought if anyone can, Jerry can. Don't avoid the problem. Face the problem. The more is often hidden in the not enough. Mm. We can have so much in our lives, but we still focus on what we haven't got. Jesus always responds to our faith. It's not about twisting his arm. It's not about begging. It's not about doing the right thing and then he'll give us what we want. But he responds to faith when he sees faith and obedience. Something miraculous happens. Well, welcome to another conversation where we are unpacking the more that God has invested in you. And we really hope that you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had over the last few weeks. And if you've missed any of those conversations, you can always go back. And that's the beauty of being online. You can go back and watch those and listen to those again, because we don't want you to miss anything that God might be saying to you about the more that he wants to bring to you and through you. Now, the thing about more is, is the kind of thing that I think most people get excited about. People want more. Yes, I haven't seen anyone get excited about less. (laughs) That is true, unless, of course, you're trying to spend less, which at the moment everybody is trying to do. (laughs) or trying to weigh less, or yes, that is true, those those things. But generally, it's still about more, isn't it? It's about the more that we want in our lives. Absolutely. But we often don't like the route to the more. Mm, And that's what we're going to look at today. And so we're going to start out with... The question that we're going to ask you in the moment to interact with, but we thought we'd kind of talk about it ourselves first, and that will give you time to have a little think about how you would answer this question. Because the route to more is often going through a process where you are challenged, where you're facing something that seems beyond your ability. And don't we just love that? (laughs) Don't we just love a challenge? Don't we just love a problem? No. I think especially... (laughs) especially you know, I'll speak for the men, you know, apologize right now, men, if you don't agree with me, but I I think deep down you will. We can be very proud species. Okay, so we can be very proud. Therefore, when we face something that is too difficult, we don't like to admit it. It's because you like to fix things. You like to make sure that everything's just fixed. And sometimes things can't be fixed. Well, that's sometimes the thing that you will often say to me in the moment when I'm trying to make something work, trying to fix it. You, you will sometimes state what is the obvious, but is the last thing that I want to hear, which is, do you know what you're doing? And of course, usually the answer is no. You don't. (laughs) Well, that's the answer that is probably the truth. But the answer that I give is, of course, I know what I'm doing. It's it's because generally when it comes to fixing things, I'm the more logical one out of both of us. It's okay. We both have our gifts and talents. So I'm, I'm the more kind of logical thinker. I think inside the box, about the box, you think outside the box, around the box, nothing to do with the box. In fact, you're in circles, not boxes. So <laughs> I've usually lost the box as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you are just, it, we just think differently, but between us, there is there is harmony. I was going to say that maybe I'm right brain, you're left brain. You know, they talk about right brain being the creative I side, don't know which way left side being the more kind of logical side, mm-hmm. but you're, you're creative as well. So I, I'm just... I'm just half a brain and you're a full brain. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. I'm I'm not logical. And that's 
kind of come a cropper for me on multiple occasions. And so when I have to look at maybe, you know, a device or usually kind of some kind of gardening equipment or something with an engine or a motor, I just haven't got a clue. I mean, it was, I think it was last summer. So of course, right now, everyone is kind of mowing their lawns. In the very little bit of sunshine. In the little bit of sunshine. <laughs> it feels like I'm mowing the lawn every every week. <laughs> but we've got a petrol lawnmower. And I remember trying to get that lawnmower working again. And, and for the life of me, I couldn't work out why. When I put the oil into the lawnmower why they would put the entrance point for the oil on the side without, a, a, you know, a, a cap. And I was like, well, how do they expect the oil to stay in there? So there I am kind of pouring this oil in and it's, it's running out. And I'm thinking, this is a badly designed lawnmower. And, and this went on. I, I used the lawnmower. It, it, I didn't get the clue that it was struggling to start. And 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 you kept saying to me, "Are you sure you're putting it in the right place?" Well, it, was, it was more the fact. <laughs> it was more the fact that every time he started up, there was this cloud of smoke, blue smoke, that was coming from it, and you kept <laughs> pouring this oil in, saying, "No, it just needs more oil." And as you started, it would just be, and we had to shut all the windows and all the doors because the smell, not of the petrol mower, which actually sometimes is quite nice, you know, mixed with if you don't have hay fever with grass it was just this choking <laughs> sorry, burning oil sorry you, you you like oil with grass no smell. petrol <laughs> you not like, oil you like, my yeah, like, don't do know, this at home people <laughs> smelling petrol and grass no, like, you, it's quite a nice smell when you get the lawnmower going and you've got the grass cut it's like a nice summery smell okay, i think yeah, there'll be people enough. who agree with me but it that wasn't the smell we were getting it was just oil burning billowing out of this thing i knew that you were doing something wrong but i do know when to or do i know when to stop probably don't but i yeah it you were just so adamant that you were doing the right thing and i was like fine and it was several weeks later i realized i was putting oil into the filter the air filter which was nothing to do with where you should put any oil or any petrol or any fluid or any anything and that's why it didn't stay in because <laughs> it's not supposed to go in let there alone a flammable substance that you're pouring into the side of this I know, poor machine and you know what even now the poor thing splutters and coughs every time you start it it's really not very well is i it? know but eventually <laughs> eventually to be fair i did get it going it's a petrol lawnmower and so i i called my mate jerry because i thought if anyone can jerry can oh <sighs> Jerry can. No, I know. I just can't laugh. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's let's get to the interaction question for everyone else because I feel like uh, my credibility, <laughs> what little that there is, has evaporated. You have many strengths and talents. <laughs> they just don't come anywhere near <laughs> logical, <laughs> logistical. Some would say common sense. But they make great illustrations. So the first interaction question for you to discuss with somebody around you, or again, we say if you're by yourself, you can just have a think about this, is when was the last time you faced a challenge that seemed beyond your ability? You might have some serious examples. You might have some funny, comical things. Just discuss it for a few minutes around you, and then we will come back.
Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm sure there were many examples. I'm hoping there were many examples of other people that have done silly, stupid things. I don't think anyone <laughs> in the history of man has done that to their lawnmower. I think you are the first <laughs> and the only. Oh, dear me. Well, uh, do you know what? I know that I'm not the only person because I know that the disciples on multiple occasions <laughs> did things that they fell short. I thought you were going to say that they had some problems with their lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think they had, uh, donkeys would have been a whole... Was it donkeys that used to eat the grass? I don't know. Uh, animals eating Cows. grass would be a whole lot easier. There's no filters or anything like that. Very true. <laughs> but we're going to go to a part of the Bible in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where we find Jesus and his disciples encountering a problem. And this is in Matthew chapter 14. And what I love about the discipleship journey is that it is a journey where Jesus helps his disciples navigate challenge Hmm. because it's an integral part of the discipleship journey, not avoiding challenges, but facing challenges. Yeah, and I like with the disciples that they, and the Bible talks about they were ordinary kind of guys that just were fishermen and had different various ordinary everyday jobs. And I like how, you know, for us reading the Bible now, 2000 plus years later, we just hold the disciples in high esteem and we are just like, oh, wow, the disciples, you know, what amazing people. And they they absolutely were incredible people, but they didn't start out that way. They had to go through challenges. They had to go through troubles and trials and they had to be tested um, just like us. And I like the fact that they make mistakes. They have um, kind of lapses in their faith just like we do. And I think that's the whole point that Jesus was showing. It's not about being perfect. It's about going on a discipleship journey and the challenge is part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's in Acts, it says that they were unschooled or some of them were unschooled and uneducated. Ordinary. But the fact, yeah, ordinary people. But what astounded the people was, was not kind of in and of their own ability, but it was the fact they had been with Jesus. So again, what we're catching up with here is when people said that these these men had been with Jesus, we're actually looking at one of the incidences where they they grew as a result of being with Jesus Mm. because that's the discipleship journey. It's them together, it's us as disciples together under the voice, as we've talked about recently, of the good shepherd who doesn't lead us to avoid problems, but to face problems. So let's jump into this a part of the Bible in Matthew chapter 14 from verse 13. And this is what it says. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, 
and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. A well-known miracle, Mm -hmm. the feeding of the 5,000, which actually was probably more than likely 12 to 13,000 because the women and children weren't in that 5,000 figure. But what we see straight out here, and we've got kind of three parts to this conversation, which you'll be part of some interactions, is that the disciples immediately identified a problem. They identified the problem Here we have this huge crowd, and the crowd were hungry. But it's interesting, and we've said or mentioned this before, it's interesting, isn't it, sometimes when you state what you think everybody else needs, but deep down, actually, you're stating what you need. Because I don't think the crowd was just hungry. The disciples probably were. They were guys. Of course they were hungry. (laughs) They're always hungry. It was a case of, you know, we've got these people who are hungry, but actually that was code for, we're starving. We need some food. We don't want to be doing this right now. We just wanted to fill our stomachs. But here we have Jesus telling the disciples, here's a problem that you've brought to me, but... I want you to face the problem, Mm. not to avoid the problem. I don't want you to come up with a reason why this can't be done. Discipleship is looking at things through a different lens. And isn't it so easy when in life we face a challenge that there's always this part Mm. of us, and it's usually for me, if I'm honest, the immediate part of me that wants to run away. Absolutely. I don't think any of us like facing the problem. I think me, probably more than you, I don't like staring at a problem in the face because you have to then do something about it. You've done that for 22 years. (laughs) Oh, you're not a problem. Not a big one anyway. (laughs) But it's true. Almost 23 years, actually. Um, Not that I'm counting the the days of of staring into your face. Um, But no, sometimes looking into the the face of a problem is just not... It goes against our human nature. Human nature says Mm. run for your life or hide the problem even from other people. So if you can't run away from it because sometimes we are the mm. problem, it's it's in us. Actually, we try and hide it. How many of us try and hide our faults, hide our issues, hide the problems going on and ignore them, hoping that they will go away? But anyone who's been on this earth for any length of time will know that hiding a problem or running from it does not solve it. It may disappear for a short period of time. It might be out of your thinking. It might be avoidable. But that problem grows and grows it's anything that is left kind of undealt with just grows but you have to face it you have to face the facts um but s- sometimes those facts are painful you're absolutely right people run uh, or we run away from problems but either that same problem will come back and face us or we'll find a the, that same problem but disguised in a different situation mm-hmm. you know and we've seen it multiple times in discipleship in church life where people have run away from a challenge and actually all they've done is they've exchanged their context and they're facing that same challenge just in a different place yeah. because they assumed that it was the environment rather than a problem that they carried. 
because that's what we do. We look to give an external reason why this can't be done, which is exactly what the disciples did. Mm. You know, look how many there are, 13,000 people. How are we supposed to feed these people? And it was a real problem. Let's not, like, sometimes when, I don't know if you've looked at the kind of picture books over the years, the kids, the children's Bible, or, you know, even films, the feeding of the 5,000, it's more like the feeding of the 55. There's like a scattering of people on the hill, you know, and it's kind of cute. If we're saying ten to 15,000 people... That's a lot. Have you ever been a in... a small stadium. Well, I was going to say, have you been like in Wembley Stadium um, or like in Wembley Arena, for example? I think that's 10,000 people yeah, yeah. or like the O2, it's 20,000. I've been in both of those arenas where there have been between ten and 20,000 people. My brain cannot take in that many people. I look around, I know I've been there for like Christian conferences or yeah, I went... Should we tell them where we went once we went to... I was going to say, you said <laughs> Christian conferences, just to kind of make sure that we all look kind of all good and proper. But actually, there have been other things that we've been to see as well. We went to the O2 for my 40th, which is four years ago today, actually. Um, yes. The, actually, we went to see Take That. Take That. Anybody watching I... outside the UK may not know yeah, who Take That are. Were they? Yeah, I'm sure. Never. <laughs> Take that's like famous far and wide. Anyway, we digress. We went to the O2 to see Take That. Anyone want to know about that? Anyone interested? You can ask me another time. Um, you loved it as well. Um, it was <laughs> it was me plus fourteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine middle aged women. <laughs> no, there was the occasional guy as well with their wife or girlfriend. Um, but yeah, so we, we were there, but I can't take in when I'm in those arenas, that amount of people. Mm. So the problem of their hunger and the people's hunger around them, that wasn't a small issue. That was a very big issue. So, you know, when, when we're talking about their, their problem, facing the problem. It was a big thing. They had a crowd of maybe they were moaning, maybe they were starting, you know, when you're trying to keep the crowd going and they're all kind of mumbling amongst themselves. Especially they're hungry. Kids. And the like kids going, kid, ah, kids hungry, hungry, yeah, yeah. you know. And there was, there was this problem that they had to face. It wasn't a small problem. You're absolutely right. And again, something that we often don't think about, and you have to look at all these passages in the Bible in the wider context, so not just the verses that we're talking about. Just before this part of Matthew 14, Jesus had received news of John the Baptist being beheaded, and he had actually withdrawn by himself. I believe that Jesus was in a, in a, a period of grief mm. in this moment. He, he had the excuse yes, to avoid, to avoid people. Yeah, <laughs> full yeah. stop you know he was processing I, I don't know how you process that as fully god and fully mm. man you know because uh, you know here here is somebody who was so close to and was a key part of his journey who has now kind of had his life taken away and he's now he's, he's processing he had the excuse not to face this challenge but again he led by example as mm. our master does and he's yeah. teaching the disciples don't avoid the problem face the problem and you know one of the things we've talked about on the mvp journey those who are uh, are going through that and if you're not then you'll have the opportunity to go through that is don't avoid the problem get curious mm. get curious as to okay what is god gonna do 
in this situation, even if it looks impossible. So face the problem is step number one that we find from this passage. But the next part is this. Find the resource and give thanks. So it goes on to say in verse 17, after Jesus said, you know, you give them something to eat. They replied to him, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. So it's interesting here. This is obviously totally disproportionate amount to the need. Mm-hmm. And five loaves and two fish would barely probably feed a family. Uh, I don't know how big the loaves or the fish were, but certainly uh, probably wouldn't have gone beyond one family. And yet here they're supposed to give this to potentially 5,000 families. And so the facts at first don't change. And it's amazing, isn't it, Leanne, that when God gives us an assignment, because that's what Jesus was doing, Mm. an assignment, a mission, because he's given it to us, it doesn't suddenly magically change everything. The problem doesn't suddenly become something completely different, like you know, a magic wand hits it and it transforms it. That doesn't happen. No, and it would be really nice if that did happen every single time. But very often, you know, we ask God for the more. We ask him to come through with the result and with the provision. And he, he absolutely does, but it's not in the way that we expect it to. We expect the big, you know, moment. Um, and sometimes those moments do come. I mean, when I look at, like we did a few weeks ago, the water into wine, when Jesus did that instantly, in, uh, an answer to a problem but still it was in response to the disciple and the servant's faith that they they did that it wasn't a, a big like we talked about it wasn't a huge moment where there was kind of thunder and lightning and suddenly all water turned into one when there's a uh, an answer and like you said the assignment that's given to us it is very often disguised as something that we don't want or that isn't enough or you know but that's that's the whole thing that it is God that's behind it it isn't us and then otherwise we'd become reliant on the thing Mm. we'd be seeking the provision we'd be seeking the gift we'd be receiving you know the miracle and and seeking that rather than God himself who is behind that a hundred percent and you know what happens here is really important we're gonna have an interaction in the moment but here is the key Jesus receives the five loaves and two fish But he demonstrates to us what faith does when the facts are you've got five loaves and two fish. In other words, it looks like you don't have enough. And if you want a title for this this conversation, if you want kind of the principle here, and it's this, the more is often hidden in the not enough. Mm. So Jesus received that five loaves and two fish knowing this kingdom principle. Okay, right now the facts are this is not going to feed that crowd or small stadium of people but the more is hidden in it Mm. and that's what faith does it sees facts with a different lens but what jesus does is absolutely critical he gives thanks Mm. when we give thanks for the not enough we suddenly start to see that as the seed of becoming more than enough yeah and so the question interaction question leanne that we want to give to people right now is what do you have in your hand that you need to start thanking god for rather than focusing on what you do not 
have? Mm. What do you have in your hand that you need to start thanking God for rather than focusing on what you do not have? It's so easy, isn't it, to focus on what you do not have? That's the kind of obvious thing to look at. Um, Because I think even when we've got everything that we need, we still focus on what we don't have. I think we learn that even from a very young age. You know, uh, kids can ask for different things and, and, you know, be nagging and you can give them everything that they still have this insatiable desire for more. And of course, we know where that comes from initially. It's because God wants to give us more and wants to pour more into our lives. But actually, it can start off as a very selfish you know, more. I remember when the children were small, they'd ask for, you know, certain sweets or cake or treat and you go, okay. But then within five minutes, they want something else. They want more and they're never satisfied. And, you know, we, we can be like that as, as kind of adults. We can have so much in our lives, but we still focus on what we haven't got. You're absolutely right. And what's interesting here is that it wasn't just like a, a few seconds that they had to believe that mm. the more was going to come. Because Jesus didn't give thanks and then all of a sudden a huge roll fell from, from <laughs> heaven and, 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 and two fish fell from heaven that were whales. You know, it wasn't like that. You know, in one sense, that would have been more of a, uh, a, a magic trick than a miracle. The miracle actually was, took time. Mm. It took time because he gave them instructions. And that's the third the third key here. Mm-hmm. So the first key, let's just remind ourselves, is face the problem, don't avoid it. The second one is find the resource, even if it doesn't look enough, and give thanks. Mm-hmm. But then the third thing that the disciples had to do was to follow the instructions. Because yeah. Jesus wasn't just going to do this for them. No. He was giving them instructions. And this is what we read. Let's just remind ourselves. Uh, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And Jesus had instructed the disciples to sit the women, children, men down in groups. In another uh, version of this in one of the other Gospels, I think it mentions them being set down in mm. tens, fifties and hundreds yeah. to that effect. And so there was a clear instructions that it was only as they were handing out the small pieces, which I'm sure throughout the whole process, they're thinking, is this going to run out? Is this enough? What are we doing? <laughs> so the question probably would have been there that the opportunity to doubt mm. was there throughout the whole process. But any opportunity to doubt is an opportunity to trust. Mm. And that's what Jesus was trying to get them to see. And that's why you can read there that it says that um, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Jesus, again, doesn't come on and go, oh, here's the miracle and look what I can do and hand them out and wow the people. He got them the disciples to to do it because this was more about teaching the disciples about faith and trust 
for the more and the provision than it was just wowing the crowds. And I don't think Jesus ever does that about wowing the crowds. That's not who he was about. That's not who he is. It's not in his nature. It's all about discipleship. He wants to teach us the deep truths of trust and obeying in him. And we talked about this in the very first um, conversation when we talked about Jesus turning the water into wine, that actually it was their obedience to Jesus' instructions Mm. that actually brought about the miracle. Not once did they say, what? Why are you telling us to fill, you know, these huge cleansing jars with water? That doesn't make any... He didn't didn't explain what he was doing. He didn't say, don't worry, go and get the water, then I'm going to get you to do this. And he just said it, and without question, they went, and it says, and they did what he asked. The same thing here... Jesus is testing the disciples in in saying, I'm going to give it to you. And it's your faith that's going to determine how long this goes on for. I truly believe that because we talked about that again a few weeks ago, that Jesus always responds to our faith. It's not about twisting his arm. It's not about begging. It's not about doing the right thing and then he'll give us what we want. You know, it's not like this image that we have sometimes of the child and the parent. If you're good... I'll get you what you Mm. want and kind of dangling the carrot all the time. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who our God is. But he responds to faith when he sees faith and obedience in faith, which is following the instructions. Something miraculous happens. But so often that can look boring. Um, Let's be honest. Being obedient sometimes is boring. We want the big miracle. We want the wow. We want the spectacular. We want the big, you know, transformation. And those things do happen. And God is gracious and kind and gives us those moments sometimes. But more often than not, I truly believe it's in the mundane things of being obedient when we can't see the next thing mm. with the with the small amount and keep trusting him with the little as we go along, as we go on. Only when we look back and we go, wow. Yeah, that's look so how good. far it's it's taken us. And you're absolutely right. If it was just about wowing the crowds, uh, you know, I've been watching recently you know, one of the talent shows that's on <laughs> TV, the reality talent shows, and I've, I've watched it for several years now. But people have to keep coming up with new ways of wowing the crowds because that a crowds will just consume mm. the wow. But yeah. Jesus wasn't trying to create consumers who were spectators. He was trying to create disciples who were participants in the miracle. And yeah. that's why he gave them instructions. And one of the things we want to highlight here is that, because sometimes, again, we don't associate um, creating order and management with miracles. Sometimes we think of miracles as just the creative side of mm. it. But actually, there was a a a creative order that Jesus gave them. He said, you know, you need to manage this miracle. You need to sit them down. There needs to be a system. Mm. There needs to be a way in which you're going to distribute this. And actually, by creating that order, you know, sitting them down in those different size groups was an act of faith because you wouldn't do that if you didn't believe that you were going to have the food to give to them. And I thought a great question for us to discuss right now to really maybe highlight an area of our lives where maybe we're avoiding. Maybe it's an area we're avoiding because of the lack. Mm. The question I wanted to discuss is this. What do you need to get in order so that you can start seeing the multiplication of what is in your hand? So you may want to think about an area of your life right now where you think, that area is chaotic mm. or that a- area is just disorderly. In other words, I, I avoid it. I don't deal with it. But actually, 
God is wanting to bring more to you and through you, but only when you start to get that area of your life in order. And so I want you to discuss that question. What do you need to get in order so that you can start seeing the multiplication of what is in your hand? There are always areas of our lives, aren't there, that we need to address. And this is not an overnight thing. It's an ongoing process. Yeah, I think it's important that we always um, look at areas of our lives, such as finance, time, our diary, schedule, um, our, our habits, our kind of daily things that we do, our relationships, our ultimately our relationship with God. There are so many different areas of our life where we can say, oh, we've got one one kind of thing in order. Great. But just because you have one area in order mm. doesn't mean all the others are, are sorted. In If one area is even out of sync, it can knock all the others out of sync too. So I think it's important when we talk about getting things in order. It's not, not just about being a, a tidy person. It's about looking and going, right, where do I need to improve? Because this is not, again, twisting God's arm to do the miracle. This is an act of expectation. I'm getting things ready because I know what's coming. Mm. Like when you're expecting a baby, mm. you know, you you have all that time to prepare, but you get stuff in order because you don't want to just go, oh, it'll happen when it happens. You, you'll end into absolute chaos, you know, or y- when it's Christmas time, you don't go, oh, it's fine. We'll work it all out. Some of us do wait till <laughs> Christmas Eve to sort it out, whatever. When there's an event, you don't wait until the event to sort it out you prepare there's a and there's joy in that preparation <clears throat> there's joy in that expectation there's joy in the lead up mm. um to the event itself so it should be exactly the same in our expectation of the miracle uh, from jesus and the more that he wants to bring us at that that lead up of expectation should bring joy um because it's doing something in our spirit in our heart and and sometimes that managing of our lives looking at the areas whether it's our relationships health finances time sometimes you know we don't see it as enjoyable because it means we've got to face up to the Mm. problem we've got to face up to the disorder but what we have to do is realize that there like leanne said there is joy in this process once you get started again you're journeying it not alone but you're journeying it with jesus and of course part of discipleship part of church is is journeying it with others is that sense of having accountability, having connection, having people to encourage you to to become more. Mm. Because it's only when you can become more that you can be entrusted with more. And again, I love the fact that the end of this miracle ends with the fact that even the clear-up operation <laughs> was a carefully managed process because they had basket baskets ready <laughs> to pick up the broken pieces and of course there were 12 basketfuls which meant that every disciple had a goodie bag <laughs> a party bag to take home <laughs> <laughs> just to remember <laughs> that's always a good party isn't it when you've got a good doggy bag to go away with <laughs> and i think this is uh, kind of key to what we're trying to say is that jesus will always bring more mm. than we are expecting he you know they they were hoping it would just be enough 
But saying that there were broken pieces left over says to me there was more than enough. And that's what Jesus wants to bring to your life, to my life, mm. is that actually we stand back in amazement and go, not only did, did we just make it, not only did we have just enough, because we can have that kind of mentality. Mm. Where, oh, I'm not asking for lots, Jesus, just, just this much. And God's like, come on. I'm the God who owns everything, who, you know, he is all present, all powerful, all knowing. He can get everything to us. And yet we kind of go, oh, no, I'm just humble me. I'm just asking for this. You know, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think or imagine. So we have to apply that same level of expectation. And God will always go beyond that. Absolutely. And I think having a mission that is a bit scary, a vision of a future that seems way beyond you, that God would have you involved in is really key. And again, we talk about this on the MVP journey, really understanding what is my mission? What is the co-mission that we are all part of, which is, of course, to make disciples of, of all nations, you know, to go into all the world. It's so important because actually we start to have to uh, believe and pray for bigger answers to prayer when we are on mission mm. usually our prayers are very small when we don't have a clear mission and understanding of what we're called to and so we really want to challenge all of us in this year of expansiveness which is a key word for us yeah. this year that actually we become good managers because when we manage well what he has given us knowing that even if what we have right now we see as not enough the more is hidden yeah. in the not enough but it takes faith, which looks like giving thanks for the not enough. And it means becoming good managers and stewards with the full expectation that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, think, or imagine. So let's pray. Mm. We're going to believe that we're going to take this principle, this word, this challenge, and actually apply it and Find joy in this process. So, Father, we thank you because you are the God of more than enough. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. And you provide for our needs, but you also provide for the mission. We know when we look at the disciples, you sent them often uh, without something, but because the provision was found on mission. We thank you that you have gone ahead. You have gone and already prepared all that we need and that actually the more than enough is hidden in what we often see as not enough. Father, I pray that each of us will start to look at what we have right now in our hands, our gifts, our talents, our skills, our resource, our time, and we'll start seeing it with the lens of faith that we will actually Lift it up each day with a thankful heart, mm. giving thanks that what we have in our hands is more than enough to feed lives right now that need hope, love, and need that joy and peace that only you can bring. So thank you for calling us on your mission. And we are ready to see that more unlocked in and through our lives in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.